Did I turn this on? There I go. Hey, Mark, that wasn't all on me then, all right? Welcome, welcome. So grateful that you're all here. For those of you that might not know me, uh, I am Chris Lonneville. I am one of the pastors here on staff. And we're going to be picking up in our study on Ephesians. So if you have your Bible, could you turn right there? Ephesians chapter 1. And I have a uh, kind of a homework assignment, except you're going to do it right now as I'm reading. Okay? I want you to pay attention to who does the primary moving and shaking in this text that I'm going to read to you today. Okay? Who does the heavy lifting, in other words, in this text? Okay? So it's Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15. Go there if you would in your Bibles. Hopefully you have one. If not, I think they are going to put them up. In fact, the only thing you'll see is notes because we had camp all week. So my guy who normally does the notes kind of fell down on the job this week because he was at camp all week. Um, So the only thing you're going to see up there is scriptures, I believe, I hope. So Ephesians 1 and beginning in verse 15. Remember, you're, you're paying attention to the pronouns. Who's doing the major work, okay? Therefore, I also, this is Paul speaking, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you might know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ Jesus when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's a long sentence. Uh, It's it's like uh, Paul didn't take grammar 101. He didn't know how to break things up much. It's one long sentence. But I believe what we have just read is perhaps reflecting the most concise theology in the Bible in terms of the church and the purpose of the church as we know it today. And I want to be clear. Paul makes it clear that everything that we have just read, everything that is yours, everything that we have read over these weeks in Ephesians chapter 1 up to this point, everything is not predicated upon you. It's based upon Him and what He has done. Everything we just read is based not on your hopes, but it's based upon God's hopes. And the reason why that's important, and the reason why I want you to get that this morning is, your hopes are only as good as your power to make it happen. Like you might have a hope, I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm 20 years old. Sound good, right? That only is as good as your ability to make it happen, though. And it it starts with having to get a job. To do something. So your hopes are predicated upon your power. But Paul makes it clear in this text that the hopes that God has, and if I can even use that kind of anthropomorphism, that God has hope because God already knows what's going to happen because He arranged it. 
But God has hopes. This is according to his hopes, but he also has the power to make it happen. So everything that we have read is predicated upon God's hope and God's power. So it's almost like Paul sets these two things side by side and he's contrasting. First of all, he's got his hope over here that we might know and embrace God's hope for us. But then over here he says, but you've got to understand God has power to make those hopes happen. So both those things are kind of joined together for us. Paul is basically saying, you can't lose. You can't lose if you keep your heart right on God. Because God's the one who thought this up. And God's the one who's going to make it happen. God puts His purpose and His power linked together side by side. The purpose that He has in mind for your life has not just the possibility but the certainty of happen. Why? Because he invested his life and his power into it. Now, this morning what I want you to do, that, that's kind of like just the introduction to what we have read. What I want to do is I want to touch on four words that kind of capture the heart of what Paul is saying about God's hope and God's power for us. And those four words act like kind of like an anchor for this big canopy. The canopy is the hope of God. And these four words are like the anchor that Paul gives us for it. I'm going to give you the four words. If you're taking notes, you can write them down because, again, they're not going to be up on the screen today. But those four words are the anchors. And then I want to talk about each of them very briefly. The words are this, rejoicing, rejoicing, revelation, Resurrection and responsibility. Rejoicing, revelation, resurrection, and responsibility. Those four words as the four underpinnings of God's hope and God's power for us. So, number one, rejoicing. He says this, verse 15, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you or rejoice over you, making mention of you in my prayer. Right away it says they're rejoicing. But what is Paul rejoicing in? Do you see it? What's he rejoicing in? Their faith in the Lord Jesus. You know, a lot of people love Christmas. I've had, I don't know how many of you guys go on Facebook or is Facebook all old school now? I still go on Facebook. I don't post anything. I just stalk you. But um, I go on Facebook, and uh, I, I've, I had somebody recently who posted how many days till Christmas. Christmas. That's like, that's forever away, but they're already posting because they're excited. Because there's a lot of people who love Christmas. They love the sparkles and the lights and the tinsel and the decorations and the presents. And yeah, don't forget little baby Jesus in that cute, hand-carved, wonderful, cedar, aromatic cradle. Because that's got to be how it was, right? They love baby Jesus. There's other people who love Jesus, their superhero who always rescues them from all the trouble that they get themselves into. Say so they love Jesus as their super. There's other people who like Jesus, their butler. You know, the scripture, the psalmist says, you know, God is our shield and our butler. You, you guys know that verse, right? They love the fact that Jesus, all they have to do is make a wish and Jesus makes it come true for them. But that's not what Paul's rejoicing over. Can you put that verse back up over there? He says they're rejoicing because he's heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus. Paul's rejoicing over a group of people who gathered together in a small local church just like this in Ephesus. 
And he rejoices over the fact that they have submitted to the lordship of Jesus in every detail of their life. And that's my question for you today. Have you submitted to the lordship of Jesus? I'm not talking about loving baby Jesus. I'm not talking about superhero or butler Jesus. I'm talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Is he the Lord of your life? I have a lot of people say, well, he's my savior and I've got to make him the Lord over time. I don't even know where that theology came from because according to the scripture, he can't even be your savior if he's not your Lord. So is he the Lord of your life? In every detail, not just the big stuff, the important stuff, but every detail of your life, is He your Lord? He rejoiced over the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's not enough to get just enough Jesus to get you into heaven. you got to have Jesus in every area of your life so that He impacts you. And out of that overflow, He impacts the people around you. And then it says, He rejoices in their love for all the saints. You remember what Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. How? By your love. Not just for one another, because a lot of people feel love, but they don't ever demonstrate it. But the love that you show to people right around you. Paul's encouraging these believers in their growth in the faith. Now, I want to give you two points of error that I have found over my lifetime. And again, I know I'm not the answer for everything, but I've lived long enough to see some things that I think are important. And one of the things is, there's an error that I have seen, and it's simply this. The idea that you can be a growing believer without growing in your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. There are people who say, I love Jesus, I just don't like all the people. You've heard people say, you know, I like the head. He's the head. And, And I don't need church. I don't need people. I don't need the body. And people will actually think that they're growing in their faith that way. But I want to suggest to you, Paul is commending them. He's rejoicing not only over their faith in the Lord, well, look at that, but over their love for the saints. It's a dangerous thing when you think that you're actually growing in God, but you're not faithful in your relationship with the body of Christ. The problem that I see is this. A lot of people have friends, and I think there's nothing wrong with having special friends. I don't think there's any. I know people call it cliques. Well, the only reason they call it a clique is because you're excluding others, and that's the problem. The problem isn't that you have special friends. The problem is when you have no room for anybody else in your life, when you've excluded everybody else. But friends are important. Having Friends together in the body. In fact, there's something important about when we come together on Sundays. And I know there's all kinds of reasons. Over COVID, there was all kinds of reasons not to come. You can stay home and you can do church at home. I mean, the church went to great lengths to tell people, go ahead and stay home. You're fine. Stay home, stay safe, but still engage with us. Well, now that COVID's over, now we had to say, no, now come back. And there's all kinds of people who say, no, no, I don't need to. I can stay home and do the same. You can't have the kind of fellowship that you need to grow in Christ from home in your living room. Not all alone. You need people together with you. The, the, the Ephesian believers grew in their love for God while relating to people who were real people with real stuff in their lives. I don't know if you've looked around, but everybody in this room has stuff. You got, well, let's call it what it is. You got baggage. You got junk in your life. Because we all do. All of us are a work in progress. But part of the joy of growing in Christ, is that we get to rub up against each other. And sometimes you rubbing up against him, bring stuff out of me. 
It happened to me just yesterday. And I had to go back and I had to think, oh, Lord Jesus, you've got to help me. I need to grow more. I need more of you. But rubbing up against people is what brought it out. And all of a sudden I realized, okay, I'm not as good as I thought I was. I need the help of the Lord in this. So he commends them for their commitment to the Lord Jesus, but also for their love for the saints. And you'll notice in, in chapter 1 that we've just read, Paul commends and he says this, he says, I'm praying for you guys all the time. He uses the word continually. He says, I'm praying for you all the time. And if you went all the way over to the end of the book in chapter 6, Paul ends it by saying to them, you guys should pray for one another. And isn't that really kind of what this is about? Look around you. Look at the people next to you. Just look at them. Go ahead. You should be praying for them. And they should be praying for you. In fact, you should be able to say to them, I'll pray for you. Will you pray for me? And at the very end, Paul even ends it by saying, after asking everybody to pray for one another, he says, oh, by the way, would you please pray for me? So I end today saying, would you please pray for me? Because I want to grow. I don't want to stay the same. I want to change. I want to become more and more like Jesus. Paul rejoiced to see these committed connections that these young believers had. So the first word was rejoice. The second word is revelation. And that's in verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. That word wisdom means the practical application of knowledge. And Paul makes it clear what knowledge we're talking about. He says the knowledge of him so he says i want you to have wisdom in terms of your knowing christ and who he is and what he's about and what he's doing in the world people get so caught up in politics and choosing sides and what's going on out there i'm thinking no if you keep your heart and mind on jesus and what he's doing and who he is you'll know that this world is not going to hell in a handbasket as some people say he's got a plan for this world that the knowledge of his glory would fill all the earth that's his plan. In fact, his plans have never failed. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. But then he uses the word revelation. And that word's a little bit different in that it literally means an unveiling. And I know this ages me, but some of you guys will remember the old show that used to be on, Let's Make a Deal. How many, how many of you guys remember Let's Make a Deal? Do you remember who the host was? Monty Hall. They got a new guy out there now, by the way. Have you seen the new show? It's not even worth watching. It's like... It's not Monty Hall. But Monty Hall would do this whole show and you could pick curtains, something like that. But invariably, somebody would pick the box or the curtain and then they would open it and they would unveil what had been hitherto hidden. And that's the word that Paul's using here. He says, there needs to be an unveiling. And the unveiling is both the knowledge of Him, but then he adds the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you might know the hope of His calling. He says, I want to unveil who He is and what his hope is. I want you to catch not only the person of Christ, but the purpose of Christ. Which brings me to my second warning. I told you there were two warnings I wanted to give you. The first warning was that you can be a growing believer without growing in your love for the brothers and sisters in Christ. The other danger is this. Thinking that you're a growing believer when there isn't any real deep revelation that comes to us outside of a deeper love and commitment to Jesus. Um, I've walked with God a long time. 
and if you've walked with God long enough, you've probably experienced this, there will be some group that comes along with brand new, deeper knowledge of God. They'll say things like, this hasn't been known since the days of the apostles, but I've discovered it. And I want to share this deep knowledge with you. And if you're not careful, you miss the whisper of the serpent in the garden who says, I have knowledge for you. You just have to eat this knowledge and you'll be like God. And you won't realize there's no magic thing to it at all. It's coming back to the feet of Jesus again and again and staying there. It's being related to his body and staying connected to the local body. I have people say, well, I love the universal church. And I'm thinking, that's kind of like saying I like unicorns and rainbows and Gerber daisies. It's like, that, that's kind of ethereal out there. You need to love people with flesh on and you need to come back to the feet of Jesus. The acid truth of real, true revelation is this. Does it focus you more and more on Jesus and connect you more and more to his local body? Let me say it again. The acid test of real faith, of growing faith. If you're a growing believer, this is the acid test. Does it focus you more and more on Jesus and connect you more and more to his local body? All these great new truths that are out there, that, oh, this is the new thing God showed me, you got to do this. It doesn't mean a whole lot if it doesn't bring you back to Jesus and to his body. If you find it easy just to do your own thing and get sucked into that stuff. In fact, do you know the danger is I think the people who desperately want more in God sometimes can be the most gullible and buy into things that just have not been proven through the centuries. Things that have been established by God's church through the ages. The the traditions of the church. Beware of anything that doesn't bring you more and more towards Jesus and His body. You can't truly love the head if you don't also love the body. That's part of this. That's what Paul is commending them for. The impressive thing about all of this is it's all God's idea. This is all God. I didn't somehow lay down at night one night and think this all up and decide to teach this. This was God who did this. I don't have high enough hopes for myself. In fact, the truth is, when I think of myself, I think of this, I think of myself as a kid, as a little farm boy who couldn't seem to do anything right as far as my dad was concerned. And all of a sudden, I find myself standing in front of all of you speaking. I'm thinking, how in the world does that happen? It's got to be God. I sure couldn't have made it happen on my own. Let your heart be gripped by His design and His purpose for your life and to know that your life is impregnated, it's permeated with the presence of God's power. That's His promise, which leads me to my third word, which is the word resurrection. It's in verse 19. He says, What is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe? according to the working of His mighty power, again, power and power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places. He is saying, and I want you to get this, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of you. And I want you to think about that for a moment. Think about all the things that you face in life that you think are so hard. I don't know if I'll ever be able to accomplish this. This is my plan. This is what I felt like God called me to, but it's not happened. It's been years, nothing. Think about the truth 
that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of you. Do you really think there's anything too hard for God to accomplish in your life? Well, you don't know how, how mixed up I am, how, how weird I am sometimes. Do you really think that you are so big that God can't handle you? He's doing that which He has purposed. Paul puts it this way in Romans 8.11. If the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwells in you. Just as death and hell could not carry and hold the very Son of God, just so that Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of you, and death and hell cannot beat you. All that which seems demonic, that which seems hellish, that which seems so destructive that leads to depression and discouragement cannot hold you because of the power of Christ that dwells inside of you. Whatever it is that tries to choke the life and hope out of you, leaving you feeling uh, dismayed and wondering if anything good could ever come out of this, whatever it is that tries to kill that, God's resurrection power is at work even there. He saves, He keeps, and He continues to work inside of you until that good work is completed at the day of Jesus Christ. I've often thought if I could only get a glimpse for one moment of God's great hope for us and His power to accomplish it, don't you think life would be a little bit different if we could ever really see what God has planned for us and what He's doing in us? There was a book that was written years and years ago, probably back in 94, 93, something like that, uh, by a guy by the name of Rick Joyner. And it was about a dream he had. And in this dream, he ended up going to heaven. And the first person he saw had so much glory, he was sure it was God, and he started to bow down. And they said, don't bow down. Don't you recognize me? And it actually was like a friend of his. And as he walked deeper and deeper, he saw more and more people. And every one of them were greater and greater glory. And he kept thinking, how can this be? Until he met Jesus. And Jesus said the glory was always there. You just couldn't see it. And I wonder how much glory is in you that we don't see. The glory of God through His resurrection power. There's a power of the resurrection Son of the living God that infuses your life even right now. Some of you here today are facing things that are hard. Quandaries in your family. Struggles that you have. Perhaps for some of you it's physical issues that you're struggling with. Or maybe it's in your mind mental issues. Or, or maybe it's actually you know, physical things like your job. Whatever it is. I want you to know God has not abandoned you and God is still working out His purposes in your life. That's His promise. And He's going to do it according to His mighty power. He that began a good work in you shall perform that work. That's His promise. And if we can get this, whatever we're facing right now is not going to defeat us. And we will know that. And that's not the end of it because He says in verse 20, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father right now. And that's good news. Except for Paul in the next chapter takes it a step further when he says this. He has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
right this very moment, you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You are. Your place is secure in Jesus. And nothing can defeat you. You might have problems, you might have issues in your life, but nothing can defeat you because of his purpose and his power in your life. Which brings me to my last word, which is responsibility. Responsibility, verse 22. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. That word fullness means infused or to be replete with such that it overflows. In other words, Paul is saying that all that the world will see of Jesus will be manifested through you. God doesn't have a plan B. You're it. All that the world will see of the fullness of Jesus, they're going to see in you and in me, in his church, in his body. The fullness of Jesus is what they see when they look at you. And my question is, what are they seeing as they look at you? What are they seeing? Maybe there's more in you than what you realize of the fullness of Christ. I think sometimes we think God's up in heaven wringing his hands, hoping that we would finally get this thing all together so that this would all work. But God never predicated it upon you and me. He determined the work by his own power. And he's still doing that today. We started this whole chapter back in the beginning of chapter 1 with the truth that you and I can not only know his destiny for our lives, that we are chosen, we're adopted, and we're accepted, but we can know his power to make that effective on a day-by-day basis. And we finish chapter 1 today with the truth that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He holds all power, and he's working it in us. And for some of you, you need to hear that today. God is still working in your life. He's not done with you yet. Would you bow your heads with me? Just take a moment and think about the truth. Christ in you. Christ in you. The hope of glory. That's what he's done. He's got a purpose for your life. Yeah, you're a part of it, but that work that he has purposed for your life isn't totally contingent on you. Because if it was, you know, our hopes aren't that great for ourselves. It's contingent upon what he has done. What he has accomplished. That's why he was able, while still hanging on the cross, to say, it is finished. He has a good plan for your life. We love the verse. He has a hope and a future for you. But do you believe that? Do you really believe that on a day-by-day basis when you go about your life that God has a purpose and plan for you? And then secondly, do you realize God has all power? I mean, he really does. You sang it today. He has all power. No plan of God's has ever failed. Not one. And he's working his plan in your life. And you can be confident in that. You can find comfort in that. With all of your weirdnesses, with all your failings, with all of your sin, He's still working. 
his purposes in and through you. That the world might know that he is God. That's what this is about. Take just a moment. Draw close to Jesus. Just take a moment and say, it's all you. It's always you. You're the one who saved me. You're the one who keeps me. And you're the one who's going to finish this. Let him comfort your hearts with these words. His love that began this whole work knows no end. Father, in the name of Christ, our risen Savior, the one who saved us, redeemed us, the one who loved us with an everlasting love, to you, Jesus, who gave your life for us, to you we look today and we say thank you. Thank you that you included us in your great cosmic plan because it is cosmic. It's not just in this earth, but you're making your glory known to principalities and powers outside of the realm of this world. That there are people who love God and follow him with all of their lives. Lord, of such are we. Help us, Father, to see, to know, to realize this great plan that you have and to rest in that on a day-by-day basis. Every day when we get up for work, when we go about our responsibilities, to know that we are vessels of your glory. Let our lives rest in you. And let our confidence be in that. In Christ alone. That's our prayer, Father. We ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and have a great rest of your day.